Welcome to the Continued Learning Podcast. My name is Dr. Fawn Carson, and I'm Senior Managing Editor at OccupationalTherapy.com. Today's podcast features our host, Dr. Dennis Cleary, discussing Yoga with People Who Have Neurological Conditions podcast with our guest, Dr. Arlene Schmidt. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and thank you for being here, and welcome to the OccupationalTherapy.com podcast. I'm really happy to be joined today by Arlene, who is a faculty member at Colorado State University. Arlene, could you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, what brought you here today? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Arlene Schmid. I am on my... 10th year as a professor here at Colorado State University and um, in the Department of Occupational Therapy. And before this, I was at Indiana University and the VA as faculty and as a research scientist. So I've kind of been doing research for about almost 20 years. And most of that research is about yoga and the benefits of yoga for people with disabilities, as well as integrating yoga into occupational therapy. Wonderful. So could you just tell us a little bit about how you got interested in yoga and sort of introducing that into your practice? Um, Absolutely. Is it the chicken or the egg? What came first? You're interested in yoga or that you were? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I think it's kind of what's happening now in the yoga world when we think about yoga and therapy. But um, I am from Buffalo, New York originally, and there was not really any yoga that was hanging out. Yoga is 5,000 years old, but it's kind of this new hot topic right now. So I quickly moved from Buffalo to Hawaii right after I graduated from occupational therapy school. Yep. (laughs) I made a beeline to a different life. Where did you work in Hawaii? It was great. Yeah, I was on the island of Oahu, so Honolulu the whole time. But um, what happened is I started doing yoga and I started loving yoga and it felt great in my own body. And then I had about five jobs in five years, as many new grads do as they're moving around. And started to really see benefits of yoga kind of regardless of who I was working with. So I was in skilled nurse, skilled nursing facilities. I was in inpatient um, adolescent psychiatry. I was in schools a little tiny bit. And I um, uh, then ended up in an outpatient hand clinic. And so really using yoga with all those different folks, I just kept seeing this trend of I can really see nice results with people. They're wanting to integrate yoga into their daily life and so kind of started to try as any good OT to look at the evidence and quickly found there was none at the time. There was only one study that I could find on yoga for carpal tunnel syndrome when when you think of kind of rehabilitation and yoga. So I made the very hard life choice to leave Hawaii and um, go do a PhD. So that's a really hard choice, right? Like this lovely lifestyle or, uh, you know, PhD lifestyle. Um, and I went to the University of Florida and did my PhD and um, was able to kind of focus my studies there. Um, I knew I wanted to work with older adults. And so I did a lot of education in older adult education or older adult exercise, exercise physiology, um, because of course there was no one talking about yoga at that time. Um, And in fact, I was kind of told, don't talk about yoga. (laughs) This is going to go nowhere. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, so I kind of felt like I learned the skills I needed to be able to do research on yoga and then um, went to Indiana and the VA and the 
VA, as you can imagine, right, this was about 2005, and they did not embrace it quickly, but some of the clients really embraced it quickly because there was this sense of I'm sick of being on medications or I'm sick of everyone just throwing medications at me. And so there was this kind of internal patient level movement that was happening. Um, people coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq were kind of like, I don't want any more pills. I want to try yoga. And, and they had been there was this movement of it kind of starting to happen and so the first uh, like I would call bigger grant that I got was for yoga and stroke and so that population is a little tougher right because they're older they were World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans and things um, also known for their interest in yoga yeah yeah so yeah, it was um, quite a challenge as you can imagine but at the end of the day our benefits keep showing up and we keep seeing really nice changes in multiple populations and in different um, outcomes. So physical outcomes as well as emotional and cognitive changes, which is really exciting when you think about what we do in rehabilitation and the outcomes we're looking at. And in OT, we're always talking about being holistic and treating the whole person. And I think yoga is a way to do that versus it's not just physical exercise, it's truly connecting the mind and the body. Wonderful. So can you talk specifically, so there's lots of different types of yoga and, you know, obviously a lot of pediatric OTs are using yoga uh, with, uh, with the students and the, the clients that they're seeing. But can you talk specifically about maybe some neurological conditions that you found? You mentioned stroke, but other things maybe that yoga might be useful for other populations. Sure. And I will say the one population I really have not worked in is, is kids, is pediatrics. But you are right that it's really taking off. Um, and I think people feel calmer. And, and so we, that's why there's a big push using it with kids. Um, but in our work, so we really did um, that stroke study. And then we also did a brain injury study while I was still at the VA. Um, you know, they're veterans, they had brain injury, um, and, and they had kind of heard about it and actually came to us and said, we want this now. And then from both of those studies, we always do qualitative research, right? We always ask, like, what could we change? What could be better? And um, something we kept hearing was, I wish I had this before. I wish I had this earlier in my disease or disability. Because we were really working with folks with chronic stroke, chronic brain injury, 20, 25 years after their injury, right, or their <clears throat> Um, their stroke onset. And so from there, we went into inpatient rehab um, at the VA and at a local rehab hospital. And so that was really cool. Um, like as a scientist, I didn't do it right because I was like, yoga for everybody. And um, that's <laughs> Where's not really. Where's your control group? That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's not really Who what Who are we going to withhold right? it from? Yeah, yeah, it right, gets exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but as the OT and as the yoga lover, yoga for everyone was turned out to be great. And so we had folks with spinal cord injury, you know, brand new spinal cord injury, locked in syndrome, very acute stroke, very acute brain injury. Um, and we are able to see that adding yoga or integrating yoga into rehab for all those different populations really help calm people, calm their nervous system. Um, help them be more able to sustain life in rehab, right? Like if you think of all the tests and the MRIs and always waiting for other news or other, always waiting for therapy, it really gave people a tool to calm themselves down, be more okay in the MRI machine, be less worried about the next thing and kind of be more in the moment. 
Um, and so, of course, we've, we've not done a randomized controlled trial of this, right, because it'd be really challenging to do. Um, but it, so it kind of leaves us with a lot of questions. But um, to, to finish your question as other populations, I mean, we have really also done um, diabetic neuropathy um, and other neuropathies as well, and then um, chronic pain, which is not necessarily neuro, but a lot of neuro is involved with a chronic pain population. And also Parkinson's disease as well. Gotcha. So lots of, of different types of uses. Um, so I, I, we, know, we know each other uh, decently, I would say. Um, and uh, so you've seen maybe my lack of flexibility when we're in person. Uh, and this has been chronic. So back when I was in occupational school, occupational therapy school, many, many years ago, um, people would um, try not to be my lab partner. Uh, for you know when they had the little you know pick the the range of motion test question out of the, the paper bag to see if you were able to assess your partner because I am lacking range in a lot of different places so I'm pretty novice to the the idea of yoga um, so there's a lot of different types of yoga that's out there could you just talk a little bit about maybe the the types of yoga that um, that is out there and what you might really think would resonate specifically with occupational therapy personnel yeah. that might be listening. So there are many types, as you just said. Um, mostly what is here in the West is derived from Hatha Yoga. Um, but they can look really different. And so people can kind of hear about things, or if you just Google yoga, we can get into trouble, right? Because you might get pictures of people standing on their heads or something. So as you can imagine, we stay far away from standing on their heads. Um, and, and I would say, there's, so while there's different styles, some there, there's just words that mean different flows or styles. Um, we really kind of stick with Hatha Yoga because all yoga should have breath to movement, but some yoga has breath to every, every, every breath equals a new movement, and we want to stay away from that. So while we move to breath, we also hold in a breath. So we might go into a posture and then have people really focus on their breath, but stay in that posture rather than moving in and out. And we have found that is what makes the most sense for our folks when you think of a chronic stroke population or someone else who has limited range of motion, limited mobility. They're also likely having some fear of falling. And so getting up is potentially fearful. And we do try to get folks to the floor. And so there's a whole lot of anxiety rolled into that, as you can imagine. But we really try and do a very slow style, a very safe style that um, includes probably less postures but more time for people to process the movement and what we're asking them to do. And then um, we really want every person to feel successful when they leave. And so we provide a lot of hands-on assistance, but also a lot of modifications, which I think just leans into occupational therapy so well. Like we're just the experts at modifying things and meeting people where they are. And so yoga is just naturally so modifiable. Um, that it's just a, it's a good fit for us. But I do always worry if people just Google yoga, they tend to get like the 20-something standing on our head. And so I, I'm trying to move us away from that <clears throat> and reminding us 
anyone can do yoga. It is thought that anyone who can control their own breath can do yoga. Um, and there's actually some OTs who have even done yoga in the ICU with people who have been trached as they're starting to work on their own breath control um, because breath is yoga. Um, and it doesn't, have, it doesn't have to be all those postures that we tend to think about. Um, and so I think we're always thinking about safety for sure um, and making sure you know, we're not setting someone up for a fall or something like that. And so we, we are modifying quite a lot. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just head over to occupationaltherapy.com and sign up to start earning the CEUs you need online. You'll get unlimited access to hundreds of courses, including live webinars, on-demand videos, and text courses, and the audio courses you love for just $99 per year. And if you sign up today, you'll get 13 months of unlimited CEU access for the price of 12. This is an exclusive offer for our listeners, so don't wait. Go to occupationaltherapy.com and use promo code PODCAST and get 13 months for just $99. Join thousands of your colleagues who are already earning their CEUs online with occupationaltherapy.com, an AOTA-approved provider of continuing education and an NBCOT professional development provider. And don't forget to use promo code PODCAST at checkout to get your free bonus month. Once again, that's occupationaltherapy.com, promo code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get started today. So could you just talk a little about some of those modifications potentially that, that you've used in your own practice? Sure. So some big ones are everyone, first of all, everyone gets a yoga mat, right? And then yoga blocks, which are little rectangular kind of foamy blocks. Um, and then we also buy things like blankets and bolsters and um there are these big round bolsters that people can kind of, if you think of um, a lot of times in yoga, we might do a forward fold. So folding at the hips and we might do it while we're standing, but our folks might want to do it while they're sitting. And so if we use a bolster kind of at their belly, they're able to fold over that and get the benefit of the forward fold without having to stand. Um, And the blocks, I mean, we just do so many things with them, even sometimes just putting it putting a block under someone's foot, feet while they're sitting to make them feel more grounded, right? So if we have someone whose legs are swinging in space, just because they're shorter, just that block helps them feel more grounded. And um, a lot of times that's something people are doing in the schools. It's just like getting kids' feet on yeah. floors. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard, right? It's not even... Yoga or not yoga. Right, I think it's that's not a even, general right. rule of uh, let's get every yeah. kid's feet on the floor. Get their that's in a feet school. on the floor and ground them down, right? But it's the same for our older adults with neuro. Um, and so we also, like I said before, we like to get them into standing. So we tend to use a chair. So we start everything in chair yoga to kind of get a sense of where everybody is. And usually we stay in a chair for one or two sessions and kind of see, you know, how do they do standing up? What are their abilities? What are their levels of fear? And then we start moving them to we stand up and we go behind the chair and we use the back of the chair for support. And then they can graduate to maybe using a wall. And then some of them truly graduate to being able to just do a posture, Um, which is exciting for them and us to see. Um, But again, you know, normal everyday yoga uses blocks and belts and bolsters. And so I think it's nice because they just feel like, oh, I'm using a yoga block or a yoga um, belt. And so it doesn't feel like 
they're doing something because of their disability. It just feels like they're doing yoga. So that's kind of nice. If I go to a yoga class, I'm always using blocks and belts to be able to get myself into the posture. Um, and then the getting to the floor is um, really important if we can do it. We should know things like we don't really get people with a big round belly laying on their belly, right? Um, and those round bellies are kind of common after stroke. Um, it just kind of comes with the territory. And so we really only do things in supine. But it can be really powerful for people to feel more comfortable on the floor, to practice getting up and down from the floor. And then what people love in yoga is called shavasana or corpse pose where we just lay there and we say the... It's the, it's the time for the practice to integrate into our body. Um, and so it's kind of the best time, right? We're just laying there breathing. Um, and lots of times people fall asleep, and so they're very comfortable. And um, that's people really look forward to that part. So we do try to get it to the floor because it's so much better um, in the floor than on a chair. Gotcha. And I guess that's where our grading abilities come into play as, as our training as occupational therapy yeah. practitioners. So in a... Uh, I, so I, I knew an OT once who, she was actually a certified hand therapist. So it was interesting to, to hear the carpal tunnel, that early um, study on carpal tunnel. Maybe that's why she got into yoga. But she was really, um, I, I would say, opposed to sort of, and for us it was a lot of, I, when I was teaching in a university, a lot of students would go to a yoga class and then want to kind of integrate it, you know, with, um, with patients. And she was really opposed to that and really just, thought that yoga had to be taken seriously and that you needed really proper training to be able to start integrating yoga into your practice. So you've talked a little bit about that, but generally what are your thoughts about about that? And um, if someone is interested, how would someone go in and, and get training in yoga to start integrating into your practice? Yeah, really great question and very timely question. Um, so if you happen to be an OT student at Colorado State, you get a whole lot of it from me, um, right? I integrate it into my coursework. We talk a lot about breath work. Um, so, so I feel really comfortable telling an OT, it's okay to work on breath with, with kind of anyone, but, but you need to know, like, why are you doing that? Just like anything, why are you doing it, right? And because we can make people more awake or more sleepy or, or stand up straighter or all of these things through breath. Um, I think we all have the ability to say, I need you to take a deep breath, slow down, and calm down your nervous system. And, and, and we know that happens because the vagus nerve runs right through the diaphragm. So when we take a deep breath, we get parasympathetic nervous system and we calm ourselves down. And so I think any of us can remember that and take a moment with our client or ourselves and do that. I think when we start getting into more specific postures or breath work, um, we do need a little more training, but it's like anything in OT, right? And so I think it's fine if someone, you know, for a good reason says, oh, well, let's do this pose um, like warrior one or a lunge or something, right? Because it opens up their hip flexors. Is it really yoga or is it really a lunge, right? There we're trying to open up their hip flexors. So I think there's this fine line. I think if, if we're using it for someone who enjoys yoga and it's their occupation full on, right? And then there's this other area that we're probably taking bits and pieces of yoga and integrating it into our practice for best results. And then there's this whole other group that only use yoga in their clinical practice, OTs, PTs, 
And those folks are more likely to be like a yoga therapist and an OT, and they're only using yogic practices. And so that's a really different person who needs a lot more training. So I think it really depends on kind of what you want to do. Um, and um, if you find yourself really integrating yoga, then get more education about it, right? Understand the philosophical underpinnings of yoga through a yoga teacher training, right? And that'll just help the therapist be a better therapist. But I think we can do a lot by telling people that they need to just, um, you, you know, even before you walk into a patient's room, take a breath and be in the moment, right? We know breath really helps people be aware and be in this current moment. Um, and so I think our therapists are better if they are not fretting about other things, but I think our clients are better if they're not fretting about other things. So yeah, I think there is this, you know, I, I'm not opposed to people doing yoga if they're not a fully trained yoga teacher. I think it's like anything as OTs, right? It's, is it a modality? Is it the occupation? It's somewhere in the mm -hmm. middle for folks. Right. Yeah, we actually hired um, an, an occupational therapy student who did some work with my mother um, who passed away a few years ago. Um, and so she would go and just kind of hang out with her. But one of the things she started to do um, was some some breathing technique that was just beautiful to help my mom with her anxiety. And actually, it was really powerful at, at a prayer service after she died that um, the student kind of led our everyone that was there through the, the busy Aww. bee breathing. And just kind of yeah. that this is yeah. and showed us what she did with her mom. And it kind of it was just amazing to see the difference in the room after she did that with everyone and was just a really just a kind of a sacred moment that our family still talks about. So, um, yeah. Oh, I really love that. And, and the energy that comes from a group is truly different. Um, you know, even that one-on-one -on -one yoga versus the group, it is so powerful and you know we don't know what that means there's no way to research that but um we feel it for sure and um our our participants talk about that you know with different words right but um it's like this way to connect with people that's different than just showing up to a support group or something like that yeah it's it's really powerful oh i love that story yeah so a, a, a ot is starting to get some training in yoga and is, is starting to feel comfortable starting to integrate it into your practice so you talked to, about some of those um, conditions that that you felt like yoga was appropriate with and really in some ways maybe the vast majority of the of the clients the patients that we're working with probably could benefit certainly from from the breathing and the the relaxation relaxation aspect of it um, could you talk about how you're relating yoga to occupational performance and um, you know, kind of how you're, you're starting to see some improvement in occupational performance. Yeah, I get super excited about this. Um, so a couple things. One, I think yoga is great and yoga is not enough. Like I think it's best when it's merged with occupational therapy and we can talk about that, but that's when I think it is the most powerful. Um, but I will say most of our studies have been yoga only, right? We're now shifting to merging yoga and OT. But what we have found over and over is this really dramatic change in quality of life. And then we're, we've started doing the COPM, right? The Canadian Occupational Performance Measure. And see really over and over again significant changes in performance and satisfaction with performance. 
and that is chronic pain, brain injury, Parkinson's, and that's really cool because we are not talking about those things, right? We are not talking about those five things that they found important but challenging. We are really truly doing yoga, but um, in yogic philosophy, we think that the physical body changes first with yoga, um, and then it kind of moves forward, and I think when people feel better in their own body, right, and, and they have more range of motion and more balance, it allows them to do more things that they want to do. We also tend to see this very, I, I can't explain it, but a change in confidence, and it's confidence in general. It, we started at just thinking it was balanced confidence, and it turns out it's really confidence. Like they feel like a different person and they can do more things. Um, and so that, that really spirals pretty quickly. Most of our studies are only eight weeks. Pretty quickly we see these changes in occupational performance and satisfaction. And then the other interesting thing is while we tend to see the change in performance, the change in satisfaction is what's really big. And so it's more like, okay, I've changed, I can do this better, but, but it also seems like they care, or like they've shifted in how much they're worried about things, and so their satisfaction with how they do things is just better because maybe they are less caught up on something or they're less like worried or anxious about this thing that they couldn't do before. And now they're kind of like, yeah, I guess I'm doing it okay. And, and okay is enough. Um, this is the part of the trouble with yoga research, right? Is that people tell us so many things that change and some of those things, we, we don't have an outcome to, to go with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've had people just say like, you've changed my life, you've rocked my world, right? And <laughs> I love those quotes, but I, I can't measure it, right? Those thank you um, notes for your dossier, oh, I guess. They're really the best. <laughs> they're really the best, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's really exciting to see those changes in um, in occupation. I, I mean, as an OT, right, that's where I'm trying to get at. And um, if we can do something – we do twice a week for eight weeks and somewhere in there that much change happens. That's really exciting for me. Gotcha. So when you were thinking specifically about neurological injury, what are the types of, of, or what's the evidence that shows that yoga has been beneficial for in terms of making those changes? I know we talked about some qualitative changes, certainly in terms of quality yeah. of life, but any um, physiological changes or things that you can measure? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there are definitely things that we can measure and that we do measure. Um, like I said, in um, in yogic philosophy, but I would say I see it. Um, what what they think, yogis think, is that first, if if we're not living in health, like a healthy lifestyle, we first have some cognitive impairment. So that idea of like, where did I put my keys? Or where, you know, we all do this, right? But it's that cognitive, like, oh, I was doing something but forgot. Um, and then emotional impairment. So that idea of like, oh, I might be crying and just losing it for no really great reason, <laughs> but um, is happening. And then the physical changes. And then when you add yoga, we see physical improvement first, then emotional, then cognitive. And I would say that that's what is happening with our folks. So, um, again, folks with a stroke 20 years ago or something, um, but we first really see those physical changes and very measurable changes in balance, um, balance, strength, range of motion. We have done um, studies with the neurocom, so a very um, computerized measure of balance. 
and you can just see the um, structurally they're putting both feet down more equally and things like that. Um, and so we're really able to see those physical changes. Um, I can physically see a change in posture at about week two or three that they're just sitting up straighter, right? And if we sit up straighter, we're breathing better and all of those things kind of fall into each other. Um, and then we start hearing about those other changes. So um, we measure things like emotional regulation and they tend to improve. But the other things we hear are, um, I don't cry at every Hallmark commercial anymore. Um, <laughs> what if we want to cry at the have, Hallmark commercials? I know, That's they're right. the best, yeah. right? Absolutely. Um, or, or they'll say, like, my wife just told me she feels like she got her husband back, right? Like, so that is not something I can measure, but I hear time and again. Um, we hear really great stories like I can walk up the stairs for the first time since my stroke, which is great, but the point is I can sleep in bed with my wife for the first time since my stroke, right? So there's that more, that shift in emotion and emotional attachment that came because of those physical changes. And you know, physical is way easier to measure, right? And it just tends to happen faster. Um, I would say, one thing we don't know is, so we picked eight weeks because most exercise science kind of things are about six weeks. And so we wanted to kind of line up with exercise um, because we didn't know where to start otherwise. Um, what people are now kind of trying to figure out is the dose of yoga. And, you know, we don't know the dose of OT, right? Like, what's the best dose? We have no idea. And so it's kind of 20 minutes of the a same. week for life. <laughs> Forever. Yeah. We all need it. We all That's need right. it. Um, and so we are trying to figure out, like, you know, we kind of think more is better, but does it need to be twice a week forever? Probably not. Um, but, but we don't know. Um, and so there's some work happening to try and figure out um, when people start to see the change or feel the change, um, because maybe it's at four weeks, right, or whatever it is. And so there are folks who are trying to figure out the, the dose. <laughs> um, and there's actually some research, particularly in brain injury, that one dose of yoga help people feel way better, which is kind of exciting, right? Um, and, and so there's a, there's a ton of questions to still be answered, but I get really excited. I mean, I certainly am excited about physical improvements, but I get really excited when people are like, I feel like myself for right, the first absolutely. time, um, or I'm getting back to the thing. I mean, they don't say occupations, of course, right? But <laughs> I can play the piano again, right, for the first time since my brain injury, or, or whatever the things are. Um, and so that's where I get really excited for, for people when they feel like they're living their lives again. Right. And it's kind of like that snowball rolling and getting bigger and bigger, you know, once yeah. physically yeah. they're starting to improve and then emotionally they're feeling better, then they're able to do more occupations, even though they don't say that. And then everything kind of snowballs and gets better and makes it challenging as a researcher to try to figure out what is what is what. It does. It does. But it's exciting. And, you know, what is for me exciting is I left the clinic and I love being in, in the clinic. I love being in OT. So it's hard to leave. But I left to do this, and 20 years later, it's what I'm doing, right? So that's really exciting for me and, and makes me feel like, okay, I made a good choice, and I'm doing this, and I'm adding to the literature. And, and you're not in Hawaii, but Colorado is still pretty cool. I mean, it's yeah, still Colorado's in like a top, pretty awesome. You know. I mean, you're not in <laughs> name whatever state you would like to name. 
that I will not because there's probably a listener from that lovely. state right now. So there is absolutely. probably a listener. Um, yeah, so Colorado's lovely. And we get to go back to Hawaii pretty often, which is nice as well. That's really nice. Um, so yes, I think the other thing, you've, you've, <laughs> you've sort of mentioned pain as well. And I would think especially with your early work in the VA and, you know, it, it's such a, an issue for a lot of our veterans that are served by the VA that are have had chronic pain and, you know, have become dependent on medications. Can you talk a little bit about pain specifically and how you can, I, I, can. I don't know, does it, does it help build their confidence in terms of, um, you know, trying to get away from medication? Uh, anyway, what do you have to say uh, about pain? Anyway? I would, yeah, I would say, um, We've seen really nice results in SAME. We've seen really big changes in COPM. And then we've had this kind of interesting mix of people who want to keep progressing and um, do somewhat come off their meds. Um, we ran a yoga pain study in a local pain clinic, and they were so happy with the results, they actually hired our yoga teacher, who was an OT, to continue. And then I had a student go back, so they were, they got yoga for like two and a half years or something, and interviewed 10 of the people and did COPM. And I mean, those changes were outstanding. And, and the people, like one woman just said, oh, before I was only existing and now I'm living, right? Like, oh, it's so good. Um, and she also said, I stopped kicking my grandbabies. So I don't know <laughs> what was happening yeah. with that. <laughs> um, so, but she was really happy that she stopped kicking her grandbabies, right? Um, but then there's this other group who is, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but they um, really identify with their pain, right? Like, they're the people you meet that you say, hi, how are you? And they're like, I have had pain for 20 years, and it's their identity. And they struggled. They actually tended to be the folks who dropped out um, because I think so much of their identity was wrapped up with their chronic pain and we weren't offering like, well, how do you manage this shift in who you are and coming back to occupations after maybe 10 or 20 years? Um, and we even had a couple of people, interestingly, who they needed less drugs, less opioids, right, specifically. Um, and they were really afraid that their doctor would take their opioids away because they felt so much better. They actually dropped out because their pain was so much better but they were, they had an addiction, right? And so um, those were interesting issues that we didn't expect to see. Um, and, and so most of the folks kind of, you know, their pain didn't go completely away. In fact, um, we use something called the brief pain inventory and some of the items, there's a total score for pain severity and then a pain um, interference of pain on everyday life. So very OT. Um, and really, our pain severity didn't change, but the interference of pain on everyday life changed. So, uh, you know, significantly improved. And so what people kind of qualitatively said is this idea of, well, the pain didn't go away, but I could put it somewhere else. Or I could think about other things and engage again, um, you know, not kick my grandbabies yeah. <laughs> um, out of anger or whatever that was. Um, and so pain um, has probably, of all the studies I've done, is probably the most challenging population. Um, and, and I think it's because pain is so diverse, right? It's um, another idea of me being not a good researcher was 
again, yoga for everybody. And um, if people had migraines, they could be in the study just the same as I had folks with low back pain, but then I had people with um, radiation burns internal from um, radiation after cancer, right? And so those types of pain are so different. And so at, you know, at the end of the day, they're all pain, but the pathways are really different. And you know, the pain 101 that we'd want them to understand is probably different. Um, and so if, if you only did a low back pain study, it might look a little different, but, um, when you just took pain in general, again, <laughs> like yoga for everybody. <laughs> we needed, we needed to train you as a researcher before as an OT. I know, That's I know. Right. It's really these, hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to, um, have only the researcher hat on, right? Like, um, and so sometimes I'm better at it, but sometimes I just, I'm like, why would we not give exactly. it to them? Exactly. <laughs> Let's help people. It helps them. Let's help people, right? Yeah. And I can still tell a good story about it at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit, so someone maybe that is hesitant to try yoga, um, is there evidence that shows that yoga is different from a typical exercise program uh, in terms of integrating your, your practice? Yeah, there is. Um so back, it's probably a while ago already, maybe approaching 20 years, there were some basic studies of yoga versus exercise. And so those studies did show a more improvement for yoga versus like, like exercise in a single plane, weight training kind of exercise. And so that is what we tend to use for control groups when we do one is a, we match for METs or like metabolic expenditure of yoga doing exercise in a single plane with movement. Um, so, so those studies have been established. We know, we think, right? Like yoga is better. Um, all of that work was really done in healthy adults. And so our group is the group that kind of started saying, well, what about people with stroke and brain injury? Um, and we haven't really tested it again, um, like just yoga against um, just regular exercise. I mean, it's always this like kind of control group um, that we're formatting really specifically um, to not do breath with movement and things like that. Right. Well, I think also society is so different probably when those studies, we felt like those studies needed to be done maybe 25 years ago, 30 years ago to kind of establish that. Um, so speaking of studies, um, insurance companies and yoga. <sighs> Um, how do, how do insurance question. companies view yoga as part of occupational therapy in terms of billing reimbursements? What are your thoughts? Or is it simply a modality we're using? Um, I think it's somewhere in the middle and the whole, you know, OT, it depends kind of answer. Um, so part of it is population, right? Like mental health is way more likely to be cool with it. Um, so we actually did a study on this and we surveyed and then spoke with therapists all across the country who were integrating yoga into practice. And their takeaway was, um, you know, insurance is not going to pay for yoga, right? Insurance will pay for an occupational therapist using therapeutic activity that is yoga to get to somewhere else, right? And so they were really thoughtful about how they wrote things. They maybe don't even include the word yoga. I think it really depends um, who they're writing to, who the population is. Um, we've worked with folks in the burn ICU, right? And yoga there really makes a lot of sense, right? It calms the nervous system. It helps them stretch out. You can cool yourself. Um, you can heat yourself with your breath. Um, and so we um, 
I would say those therapists have become able to finesse their notes that insurance companies have paid. Um, one of my goals in life is to provide the evidence that it is not this crazy thing, but that people are using yoga. A study that my colleague, Dr. Jacqueline Stevens and I just got funded um, is to try and figure out some of the whys because we can say all day long yoga works, right? But if we don't know what's changing, it's harder to sell to the insurance company. I don't really care. I'm just happy. <laughs> like It works. People are happy, right? Um, but we are going to work with folks who have brain injury um, and, and do brain imaging with them. We'll do... Um, MRI with them and or fMRI with them and then something called FNIRS which is really exciting and Dr. Stevens work but they can wear a cap with electrodes on it and we can actually have them do yoga postures wearing the cap which is exciting because we can see the change in the brain and so she's really excited she sends me pictures of people's brains and I can see they look different um, but that's why we have to collaborate right um, I bring the yoga she brings the imaging and um, we can see that the brain is changing which is exciting again in only eight weeks um, there is some cool evidence on mindfulness so not yoga but yoga includes mindfulness and meditation um, in healthy adults we know we can actually increase gray matter and increase connectivity in the brain with meditation. So um, that's kind of where we're trying to get to with the yoga research, right? Is like, what is changing? Is there a part of the brain? Is it the motor cortex, right? What's changing? What's connecting better after an injury? So we are actively working on that. Um, and I think our group, um, our team and now some other folks are really starting to try to add to the literature that, you know, we had to start with baby steps, right? Could could someone with stroke, is it even feasible? Could they even safely do yoga, right? And now we're way past that, right? We can absolutely say, I feel absolutely like, yes, they can do it. Yes, it's beneficial. And now we're at this point of trying to figure out the why, um, the more mechanistic things that some folks care about, right? What's changing in the body? So that is relatively new in yoga in people with disabilities. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, there certainly are a number of OTs that have kind of, maybe they're collaborating with a yoga studio and are providing some of these interventions on a cash basis. But obviously, long term, you know, if we can have that as part of our, our typical, you know, evaluation and treatment that we're doing, um, that's obviously. So thanks for doing that on behalf of the profession and getting there. Oh, thanks. It I mean, like I said, I'm so happy to do what I do. I mean, I love it, really. So, so. could you talk a little bit about um, maybe precautions? You talked a little bit about, you know, seated and that sort of stuff, but um, precautions to, to make sure, you know, our first, one of our first priorities is safety, to make sure that, that um, everybody's going to be okay after the session is over. Yes. Um, so, biggie, you know, is physical safety, right? And so, we're always working to prevent a fall. And um, so far, so good, uh, knock on wood. Um, we have been very safe. Um, but even something like a forward fold in a chair can make someone feel really dizzy or really nauseous. And so we um, talk to people about that. Like the whole listen to your body thing, 
people have become really disconnected from their body, especially after some of these injuries. And so we're really working with them to listen to their body. Tell us, right? Tell us if you feel dizzy and let's sit back down. Um, so that physical safety is really important. Getting to the floor, I think, is really important for the yoga. But um, we have to do it safely, right? That's where we're more likely to have falls occur. Um, and getting off of the floor, of course. And then I think there's this whole part that we don't necessarily think about. And um, in any yoga or meditation, we can kind of bring some stuff up that we haven't thought about for a while or that we've kind of packed away. Um, and so sometimes people become really emotional um, or tearful during yoga. And so we want to make sure we're kind of checking in with folks. It's, it doesn't happen every session by any means, but it's definitely happened. And I would say it, um, uh, we, we kind of think it's a lot about hip openers. And so we, we tend to think that we hold a lot of stress and anxiety in our hips, right? This is this idea. And so when we open the hips or, like, you know, move people into more of an extension posture, there is that risk of having some emotion. And so just kind of being prepared for that, being not like, whoa, what's happening? Or why are you crying for no reason, right? Like being ready. But it's, it's part of OT, right? Like using your mental health background, um, treating the whole person, right? Um, and and um, then there's a couple things like we should not in acute, particularly acute brain injury, acute stroke, we should not be doing any inversion. And so I think everyone knows that like, we're not standing on heads, but you could think, oh, a down dog, which is when um, you kind of make a V with your body facing the floor. And so then your head is below your body. And so we wouldn't want to do that with an acute injury, an acute brain injury. Um, and so we would kind of say like, oh, we there's no, there's no exact like science here, but we would kind of say you should probably wait at least a year to be doing those inversions for someone with a brain injury or stroke. Um, you know, just to, just to not cause damage, we want to be helping and not causing damage. So, and we don't know enough. So it's not necessarily that we know that it's really that we don't know enough. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So, um, what would an occupational therapy personnel bring to, uh, yoga that may be just a, a typical yoga teacher from a studio. So why should an OT maybe be doing some of this instead of sending them to the yoga teacher down the street? Yeah, um, I love working with OTs who are yoga teachers. They're, um, there's, uh, that's the person who I love to hire. Um, and, and it's because they understand anatomy and physiology better, right? Like their training is just more advanced. Um, they understand precautions. So uh, you know, an easy example is like a hip precaution, right? A yoga teacher probably has never heard of that idea before, a uh, hip precaution after a total hip, right? Um, and an OT will, will know that and understand just how important it is to follow those protocols. And then um, OTs are, I would suspect, um, maybe, I don't know the right word, better at following like a standardized protocol. So if, if I come out and I'm like, these are the things you should do or don't do an inversion because of this, um, I think an OT is more likely to kind of say, oh, we're going to take this step by step and, and get this person where I need them to go, where a yoga teacher just doesn't quite understand evidence-based practice. You know, of course, not everybody, right? But but we talk so much in education about evidence-based practice and protocols and standardization and safety. Um, I think an OT can really bring a lot 
um, to, to that yoga component. And then I think an OT has those abilities to manage like the mental health issues that could come up um, that might be a bit of a, you know, just like a neglected surprise if it happens in a yoga studio. I will say here, you know, my lovely life in Colorado, we do have more, uh, we have adapted yoga at the community level, which I don't really know other communities who are doing this yet. Um, and, you know, before the pandemic, it was in-person specific for Parkinson's and MS and things, not, and it wasn't us doing it, it was happening without us. Um, and people just realize, like, we have a population, let's do yoga. They want yoga, but they can't go to a yoga class. Um, and so, of course, COVID and all that, and that's kind of moved online. Um, but I think we're a community who does that well. But most folks um, would struggle to be able to go somewhere and take a class. Um, I would say they would have to go, if there's a senior center who offers senior yoga, it's probably the best bet. Gotcha. Um, in terms of uh, individual providing individual intervention versus a group intervention, can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two when you're using yoga as part of your practice? Yeah, um, we've only done individual a handful of times. We've done it with brain injury and in the inpatient rehab setting. Um, so I think it's really nice because you can really connect with that client and and meet their individual needs. So, right, if they're like, oh, my hip hurts, you can really address hip pain through yoga. Um, we mostly do group yoga because what we hear is they like that group intervention. They talk before and after. Um, they seem more likely to have better attendance when it's the group because it may or may not be about the yoga, but it might be more about showing up and um, seeing people. In the group yoga, is a little harder because we have to, for a study, right, we have to standardize it and say everyone got the same yoga. But as OTs and yogis, we want to meet people where they are. And so what we kind of say is it's the standardized intervention. Everyone was offered the same thing, but we tailor it to their individual needs. So if they need an extra yoga block or something, we consider that, yes, they still did this pose, but with some additional modifications. Um, so I like both, to be honest, the one-on-one -on -one and the group. I think there's different benefits. Um, I think we can target things a little differently in that one-on-one, -on -one, um, but I think we have better outcomes with the group, or at least that's what we've seen. Okay. Can you, can you talk about maybe some clients that have really benefited from yoga? Do you have any favorite? You've already talked a couple about some of the stories, but particular clients you've worked with that have really benefited from yoga. Yeah, so two that I just can't ever let go of. Um, it happens to be they both had aphasia, actually, but um, one gentleman had his stroke 22 years ago, right? So a long time, and in his 40s. And, you know, if we have a stroke in our 40s, it changes our life dramatically. He had to stop working. His kids were still little. It was uh, very traumatic for him in addition to the stroke, right? And all he could say was, yep. Um, so he could understand, he could follow direction, but that was all he could say was, yep. Um, and so one day, so his, you know, often it's the wife, of course, makes them go to the yoga. Um, and so we always include the caregiver or the wife or whoever, if they want to. And um, they came to yoga and he 
follow directions. He was doing everything. And then one day, this really happened, in about week three or four, he said, Arlene, shut off the lights. Wow. And everyone was like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> you don't talk, right? And so, like, he knew my name. He knew what was happening. He This beautiful sentence he said, right? And so, like, that's not neuroplasticity, right? This was, like, week three of a yoga intervention 22 years after his stroke, right? So he really sticks with me, and, you know, I think we'll never understand that, why that could happen. I personally think it's more being in the present moment. He was really stuck in the past of why did this happen or, you know, I, I can't work or I couldn't raise my kids the way I wanted to, things like that. And so I think yoga helped him just be more okay with where he was in life. And, yeah, then he said this great, beautiful sentence. And then another guy, um, also with aphasia, but it was more his wife, so she became the caregiver, right? Um, and so they did, both did yoga together. And we make sure if this is happening, we're really taking care of the person so that the caregiver can do yoga and get the benefits of yoga and not feel like they're having to worry about their person doing yoga. And um, so they were at home and she was doing a shower with him, right? Just like everyday life now, life is hard after a stroke. Um, And he took the shower and squirted her with water and laughed and he thought it was like the funniest thing ever and she said she came back and told us that she's like it was the first time I felt like we were a couple and not a caregiver um and it was you know they had this shared occupation of coming to yoga together and I think it was really powerful for them as a couple because we lose a lot of those occupations after a stroke or after taking on this really big caregiving role. Um, but there are two folks. I mean, I have so many folks in my head um, after almost 20 years, right? But um, those two, I just always kind of just love and um, love to hear those kind of stories. And then the one other person who's really in my head is a lovely woman. Um, and I wrote a book on yoga and stroke, and she's the model for it. And so she um, is fabulous, right? Like she came to yoga. She loved it. She could feel parts of her body again for the first time. Um, and she'll just tell anybody who wants to hear about how great yoga is. But she was the model for our <laughs> book and did all the postures and, um, you know, showed people like how you adapt yoga for someone, and she has quite a lot of hemiparesis and um, her leg and her arm. Um, and she was able to do everything, right? We just modify and meet her where she is. So, um, yeah, just all, I mean, there's so many great people who uh, we've worked with. So we're really lucky because I, that part of me, like the therapist part of me feels like still satisfied, right? Because I get to see people, hear people. When it's the wonderful thing too, is that you're, you're doing an intervention that is an occupation that they can take with them you know even after the intervention is done and uh so that's a really cool thing so yeah and we hear that that they really go home and um they'll do you know they kind of take yoga apart and do the parts that they like the best and i think that's just fine right they're still doing the things that feel good and that they love so yeah wonderful so you mentioned your book um so do you want to talk a little bit about your book and then Maybe advice for occupational therapy personnel that have been intrigued, as I have, uh, to get more interested in yoga personally and then as part of their practice. Yeah. Um, so the book is, um, I'm quite quite proud of it, right? Because writing a book is not very fun. Um, it's a lot of work. and um, But I 
really am so happy with it. And, and what I think is what we did a good job of is there's a whole chapter on stroke 101. So kind of anyone can kind of come into it and learn about basic stroke. But then there's a chapter on yoga 101. So I think um, it can be really foundational for people to understand some of the things about yoga and make it less hokey maybe and kind of understand like there's some physiology behind what's going on and it makes a lot of sense when we think of the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so I really like that and then it goes into talking and showing off our, our um, model and um, going through pose over pose after pose and like how you would modify them. And so I think it's a really like a very practical book. It has handouts and things that you could give to clients to work on their poses and their breath work. Um, and then, um, my primary collaborator with that is Marika Van Pembroke, and she's a rec therapist at, um, Clemson University as a professor there, and so we do a lot of our work together. So it has that, um, like, the twist of, like, RT and OT together, I think, so it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I think for all of us, um... And is that, is that available on Amazon, or where would you get that? It is, yeah, I think... It is just called Yoga Therapy for Stroke, actually. So um, it has a pretty blue cover that I like. Oh, nice. <laughs> With a beautiful model, I'm sure. With a um, beautiful, yeah, beautiful photo and a beautiful model throughout. Um, yeah, she did. it was so fun to do that with that um, client, that participant. Um, but I think all of us, like I, you know, I've been talking about yoga for 25 years and doing yoga for 25 years. And, and it ebb and flows for me, right? Like there are times when it, I give it up and then I definitely feel it and I give it up because like all of us, we get busy. Um, but I think there's a ton online that we can follow really easily and even more with COVID. Um, I think it's one of those things if we all did five or 10 minutes a day it is actually better than one, one hour a week is my gut. Um, response to that. Um, I think including some breath work is probably really powerful for us as we can calm down our nervous system, be more aware, be more in the moment. And I talk to my students a lot about that, like being in the moment with your client, being in the moment in class, like being really truly present is um, part of yoga. And I think it can really help most of us be better therapists at the end of the day. Um, so regardless of if you're teaching it to your clients or not, I think it's something for us to be a better therapist, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what they, what they say. Um, clients oftentimes don't remember what we did with them, but they remember how we made them feel yeah. or how they felt when we were with them. Yeah, so. it's so true. And if you're truly with them and not worrying about, you know, getting your notes done or whatever. Um, I just think we're better therapists. So um, I think it's just powerful in many different ways for us. Well, Arlene Schmidt from Colorado State University and Yoga Therapy for Everyone. Is that the book? Did I... For everyone. Yoga... Oh, the book is Yoga, yoga Therapy, therapy for, for Stroke. But, but your, my, your uh... philosophy is yoga for everyone. <laughs> my philosophy, yoga <laughs> for right. everyone. Regardless of uh, disability, population, where you live yoga for everyone great well thanks so much really enjoyed the conversation and hope you have a great day thanks you too